Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good right. luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. It's the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Oh, my David, Kieran Murphy and Ken Early all here. Hello there, hey, guys. Good. I'm Kieran. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> Mitch being slightly unnerved by your um, frenetic energy. Oh, well, yeah. you wonder why I'm so happy, Ken. I've got great news. Great news. Okay. okay. I've got an excuse based on the identity of our biggest guest today mm-hmm. to bore you both with all my marathon running stories. Oh, Yay! Oh. More you know, stories I'm... about trying to go fast but slowing down at mile 16. Just trying to get that, oh, a bit more energy. Energy gels. Do you yeah. want to hear about energy gels today? I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear a talk of oh. mile 16 again. Yeah. Uh, you know, if we, could, if we could just put this into a capsule, right? Say so you're allowed to talk about the marathon for the next, you know, 45 minutes or an hour. And then never mention it again. I then I'm prepared to accept that. I'm prepared to accept yeah. that. We've That's got, fine. yeah. Sorry. So, anything you want to get off your chest about your marathon career, on Now's the time. Now's the time. We've got the winner of this year's Dublin Marathon, Elliot Two from Kenya. He won the race in only his second ever go at the distance. He's going to be in studio with his coach, Neil Fleming, an Irish guy who works with Elliot over at Indiana State University. These guys have a really great story together. Looking forward to them telling it to you shortly. I'm actually, if you notice, I'm a vastly more experienced yeah, marathon runner than Elliot. That. Uh, having run a number of them. So I look forward to sitting him down and offering a few of my running tips again. <laughs> make sure, I'll tell Elliot, make sure to stretch properly, number one. Yeah, okay. Number two, start slowly. Okay, so you good. You, yeah, you yeah. don't want to burn out too early. Number three, never, never, ever underestimate a man wearing a banana costume. Wearing a banana costume, yeah. I, you know what? I'm going to put it out there and say, he if Elliot decides to run many more marathons over the years, he's still probably not going to get beaten by a man wearing a banana suit. That would be an interesting an interesting um, development, though, wouldn't it? Everyone's what, top-class marathoner yeah. wearing a banana suit. How fast could he do it? Exactly. If I was a top-class marathoner, I think, well, I have to differentiate myself from these other guys. Mm. You know, I've got I to get my name out there. I mean, sure, marathon running's a big worldwide sport, but it's not quite soccer. You're not quite getting that kind of that mm. kind of um, marketing appeal. So mm. why not become the first ever man in a Guinness pint to yeah. win the Berlin Marathon? Maybe the first man ever to go under two hours, which will eventually happen in a few years' time. Yeah, will could actually... do it wearing some sort of novelty <laughs> outfit. I don't think it's. I don't think that's ever going to be achieved. I don't think a man in a in a uh, wearing, for instance, a, a foam a pint of Guinness costume mm. is ever going to run a sub two hour marathon. No, because what about, what about think... a leprechaun outfit though? I mean, aerodynamically, you would say that 
you know, it's probably a much I better mean, fit you, you, than if the it was Guinness. painted. You know, a paint a body paint leprechaun. You could maybe. Yeah. I, I mean, it's why why not? You know, you know, yeah. Why not? There's why no are we reason. putting limits on uh, human achievement? But if but it would have to be body painting, and even then, you know, how would that affect the the sweating and <sighs> the cooling? Ken, you're making the fatal mistake that I made. You think that these sort of outfits, such as banana costumes, weigh the runner down? Mm. But actually, I don't know how it is, but it seems to make them faster. That's my experience. <laughs> they always seem to be running away in the distance. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's like a mask. You know, it's like uh, almost they change their identity. You know, they they yeah. don't they don't have that human weakness anymore. They put that costume on yeah. the. Well, it's called Banana person. Man. It's a well-known, uh, well-known program from the 80s. Yeah. Ken, <laughs> you have some huge news from the world of Nigerian football to bring us. Yeah. Um, just for, for everybody who, who doubted... Uh, I mean, sometimes you, you doubt a man or a man gets fired and you think, well, that's the last we've heard of him for a while. Mm. And, uh, and then it turns out uh, that's, not even, that's not in fact the case. Mm. Sometimes the man is fired from a job and then immediately gets the job back <laughs> for reasons which I can't explain. But Stephen Keshi, uh, the uh, boss of the Ni- Nigeria Super Eagles, was fired, um, you know, how long ago? Two, three weeks yeah, ago? Yeah, it's like two weeks say, ago. Yeah. Um, but apparently has just fired. returned. <laughs> Toyin Ibitoye is the uh, press officer of the uh, Nigerian football team. Keshi returns as uh, Nigeria's Super Eagles coach. So he doesn't explain why. He just says... Yeah, He's back. But sometimes, you know, it, it, it could be beyond our understanding what's going on here. You know, we may never be able to fully comprehend what's happened here. But the main thing is that he's back. He's back. And you might ask what sort of relevance this news has for... Well, first of all, we're a sports show. Audience. It's sports news. I'm sorry for bringing you some news, folks. Maybe you think we're only bringing it up so that we can play our favourite ever aggressive post-match interviewer clip. Well, you couldn't be further from the truth. Coach, you wanted victory. This is the game you wanted victory, but it didn't happen. What happened? Well, I wanted victory... I want victory for every game, but today's game, uh, this is for football. You look frustrated on the pitch. You look frustrated on the pitch during the play there. Where do you, where do you think you got it all wrong today? Well, it's just the nervousness. Yeah, and yeah, okay. You were pretty close to the truth. We just wanted to play that clip with Stephen Keshi. Well, also, you know, there are a lot of up. fans of Nigerian football I wonder if that interviewer happy. I'd say he is. He seems to, have a, he seems to spark off. Keshi quite well. He's probably happy yeah. that he's still involved there. I mean, I, th- I think that, you know, that there's a relationship there, you know, and you, you want to test yourself as a journalist, get, talking to people that maybe don't want to talk to you. You know, he's, it's, it's, it's an adrenaline-filled adventure for him every time he gets to interview Stephen Keshi. We're also going to talk about Ben Teo today. The news is in that the Rugby League convert will make his debut for Leinster tomorrow night at the RDS. We'll chat to Brian Carney about that. Sam Burgess is also one of the biggest names in Rugby League, is also converting, uh, playing for Bath. And uh, the two boys played together, Murph, you were watching them in the NRL Grand Final. I don't really know why I was watching them in the NRL Grand Final, but there I was, on watching the full 80 minutes. 80 minutes? Yeah. I think it is 80 minutes in Rugby League. Anyway, the full game uh, there a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I saw Sam Burgess get his face absolutely caved in in like the first minute of the game. He sort of fractured his cheekbone. His face is just completely, you know, all over the place. And he then proceeded to put in an absolutely barnstorming performance. And uh, funnily enough, we were talking on Monday about post-match or mid-game interviews. And um, uh, at halftime, uh, the, the, the Australian broadcaster had a guy go up to Sam Burgess and say, how's your face? Really? <laughs> yeah, at halftime. And he just, he, he just said, it's gone. And just like, ran, down the, ran down the tunnel. Oh, that is bizarre. Yeah, it was 
unbelievable. I just couldn't believe it. And like, how's your face? I mean, the camera tells you exactly how the guy's face is. I mean, the eye is closing over a huge, big, like purple mark on his cheek. And uh, but it, like Sam Burgess was absolutely brilliant. And obviously, I was watching out for Benteo because I knew he was joining Leinster, and he looks pretty good as well. Now, to be honest, Burgess was the real story that day, and Teo. Uh, you know, was effective enough, but he, yeah. he, he, I was certainly not in a position to be able to say that he will 100% be better than Brian Driscoll He's, at number yeah, 13 on the back Bur- of the Burgess is reportedly, uh, and we're going to be talking more about Teo because the, the, that's the guy playing for Leicester, but Burgess is known to be maybe the hardest man in rugby league, a sport that prides itself on yeah. hard men. I would say that would put him pretty high in the world ranking uh, <laughs> if you're the hardest man in rugby league. He's not my favourite player ever, though, Ken. You know my favourite rugby league player? Oh, uh, who's your favorite? Well, obviously it's Martin Chariot Zafaya. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I, I saw Martin. That's Fire. Martin Chariot Zafaya. Martin Martin Zafaya. Yeah, Char- uh, excuse me, Martin Chariot Zafaya. Martin Chariot Zafaya is yeah. the first rugby league player I ever became aware of. My granddad uh, was a big fan of his uh, back in the uh, tight shorted Wigan Warriors days, <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah, I saw him tweeting actually the other day about. Um, who, Martin Afaya? Yeah. Martin, Martin Chariot Chariot Afaya. <laughs> yeah, he was, well, tweet, he was tweeting about the um, the punch in the grand final. Yeah. So I can't remember the name of the player who punched the other player whose name I can't remember. It was mm. unbelievable. I mean, it was he decked him and then finished them off with a sort of uh, a punch. A, while the, a punch his, to a prone, a, unconscious pro, pretty man much face. Unconscious yeah. opponent, just bang yeah. into the skull. And Martin Afaya was tweeting Chariot along the lines Afaya. of, was tweeting along the lines of, you know, part of the game. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, he was saying, "Look, you know, you don't." He, I think his point was basically, "Hang on a second, you know, this is rugby league. What, what do you think he's? You know, he's no innocent. Basically, the guy who just been yeah. knocked out. You know, check out what he did just before. You know, he's kind of pointing out this didn't just come out of the blue. This was, uh, this was an eye for an eye type stuff. Yeah. Uh, so uh, he's he he's, he remains a hard man." Yeah. It's Ben Flower through that. Through ben Flower, yeah. yeah. I, I, it sounds like Afai was the only person who uh, might have actually defended him because everybody else came down pr- pretty hard, understandably so. He's good, always been a maverick. Good news, I have just uh, decided to, as, as you speak there, kind of have followed Martin Afai, who calls himself Martin Chariots Afai. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, that that's, is... That's a nickname right important. there. Uh, you know I mean? 20 years after the man's career's peak, he's still got it. All right, delighted to be joined in studio now by the winner of the Dublin Marathon last uh, Monday, with Monday just gone, Elliot Two from Kenya, and his coach Neil Fleming, who's the assistant professor of exercise science at Indiana State University. Guys, thanks very much for coming in. Oh, thanks for having us. It's brilliant to have you over here. Uh, have you had a good week over here, Elliot? Yeah, yeah, the week has become very, very, very good for me. Uh, I've made a lot of friends. As soon as you won the race, everybody yeah, probably wanted to be yeah, your friend. Everyone, everyone wanted to see me as a, you know, being a champion. Everyone wanted to shake a hand or to say hi. I'm sure. And your story, we'll, we'll get into your story, but this is only your second marathon? Yeah, this is my second marathon out at Cleveland in May uh, this year. Yeah. yeah. So were you expecting to come and, and win? Did you think you could win the race? Uh, before, before when you travelled over, were you expecting to be victorious? Uh, after my... Preparation in training and uh, after I did my half marathon in Kenya, before uh, three weeks before I come to to Dublin, so I saw the results and I was confident that I will be among the top three. Brilliant, the top three uh, and better again. Number one, were you confident, Neil? Yeah, we were. We were quietly confident. Um, you know, when the when the elite entry was released and we looked at the times of some of the other guys that were running, we 
we felt Elliot's times in training and his times in May were, were good enough to, to win and certainly good enough to be top three. So you, you can never really tell on the day how the race is going to go. And, um, but we felt if he, if he stuck to his plan that he, he would, would certainly be up there. At so the Elliot wasn't in the elite list as such. For yeah, that. Is that right? yeah. Basically, um, we, when he finished his debut marathon in May, we contacted, we sat down and talked about what marathon would make sense to do in October. And Dublin made a lot of sense for a number of reasons. So we contacted the organisers. And unfortunately, we contacted them too late. So they had already given out their uh, invitation letters. Um, so James, his coach, basically just entered him as a regular runner. And um, he was entered in wave one. Um, and we worked on getting him a visa. The problem is, without an invitation letter, it's it's quite difficult to get a visa. Um, so we had to we had to work on that quite a bit. Um, we were lucky to get him a visa at the very last minute. He was due to come over and race in Connemara and Athlone uh, half marathon, but the visa didn't come through in time. Right. So very lucky to get the visa. Got him in at the last minute, and then uh, literally the day before the race, we we were able to get him a, an elite bib. So last minute I've run the Dublin Marathon myself uh, Elliot a lot slower than, than you uh, managed to run would you have any tips on how to how to manage the course uh, the course what, what, what were your tactics what were your race tactics was it was it just to, was it to take it slow at the start like the rest of us try yeah I didn't want to bush at the first half uh, because uh, I knew that the back is at the back there is a lot of wind because I I tried to um, uh, three days before I, uh, when I get here, mm. uh, I come and try the at the, the back. Uh, that's about six kilometers. Phoenix Park. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I left ah, Phoenix yeah, Park. Yeah, so yeah. I tried and I knew that uh, this could be a very a challenge to me on the during the race. Okay, so you yeah. knew that in advance then. You, yeah, you, you knew, I knew the course a little bit. So yeah. when we were in the flock with uh, some other guys uh, during the race, so I tried to to be behind the tallest guy yeah, from Ethiopia so ah. that he can protect for me with uh, the, uh, I like the wind. Yeah, <laughs> get into his slipstream yeah, or whatever yeah, they call it. Yeah. Yeah. You said it was like a big tree. Yeah. <laughs> like sheltering <laughs> behind a big yeah. tree. Yeah. Well, tell us a story of um, how you, first, Neil, how you first got in touch with Elliot or how it came about that he ended up with you guys in Indiana. Um, essentially, so I teach exercise physiology at the university and it's a four-year degree. And they do either a specialization in strength and conditioning or coaching at the end. So at the end of the four years, they have to go and do an internship. Mm -hmm. Um, So Elliot's coach, who was a former student of mine, came in. And normally the kids, when they finish the four years, they want to go and do, you know, coach baseball or coach American football or basketball. And, And that's easy to arrange. We get them into a local high school and it's not a problem. So James, Elliot's coach, came in and said, uh, you know, I want to coach cross-country. And I said, yeah, that's fine. We can, we can get, get you into a high school. And he said, no, 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 I want to coach in, in Kenya. Right. I want to go to Kenya. I said, that could be slightly trickier, <laughs> but okay, we'll work on it. And in fairness to him, he, he, had, he had made all the arrangements. He had he contacted people in Kenya. And so we were able to arrange that. He, he went out to, to Iten, worked in a local secondary school in Iten, and and basically met Elliot and, and four or five other runners that approached um, James and said, look, we don't have a coach, we don't have a manager, um, can you help us? So that was sort of a year and a half, two years ago, and James has been working with them ever since. Now, uh, fast forward six months to um, the spring of this year, and James had contacted me and, and said, you know, we're, we're, we want to come over and, and, and run a marathon, run a half marathon in America. 
Um, we've nowhere to stay. We've, you know, they were running it on a limited budget. Um, so I said, look, he can stay in my house. Um, that's no problem. We can do some physiology testing and, and check his levels and, and train together for the for the marathon. So in April he came over. He was he, I bought an air mattress. He was sleeping in my living room for a month, and um, we did some testing. We we did his VO2 max and we we checked his lactate profile and, and trained for for Cleveland. And basically for the month he was living with me and James was living with me and we trained together. It worked really well. He, he performed well in the half marathon in Indy and he performed well in Cleveland and. And so that's kind of how yeah. we... No, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great story, Eddie. For you, coming from Kenya and then going to, to stay with Neil and live in America, was that a, a culture shock? Was it a, is, is it a very different life? Uh, uh, it was so interesting to me, uh, being with Neil and my coach. Uh, in fact, it was uh, so interesting because uh, it was my first uh, flight to fly to from Nairobi to right, yeah. to US, yeah. so it was quite an interesting and uh, interesting and uh, that, was, that, that that was your first time out of to, Kenya to, to, to be to in, out of Kenya, Kenya fly, and yeah. uh, my first flight right ever. How, was was that scary? I I was so excited and I was so happy yeah. to be in a flight and. Uh, to be in America, which I, is... Uh, I think we were more scared than Elliot because, really? um, you know, James had arranged everything, the flight details, the times and all of that. And he was flying to Qatar and then from Qatar to the Philadelphia, Philadelphia yeah. from Philadelphia to Indianapolis. So, I mean, it was a complicated yeah. schedule for a guy that had never been on a plane before. We were kind of thinking, look, we're go- you know, we could, we could lose this guy before <laughs> he even gets here. And he got to Philly and sure enough, we did lose him. And um, obviously going through... Uh, immigration to get into the u.s with u.s visas and stuff takes quite a bit of time sure and uh he missed his connecting flight so you know we were i got a text message from from his coach i said he said he's he's only been in america for two hours i've already lost him so. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily we got him in the end and it worked out have, have you enjoyed america is it is it a nice a nice lifestyle there yeah but the life there it's so expensive and uh, but anyway it was so interesting also but it is not interesting like uh, the life that I've got here in Ireland. Yeah, well, yeah. can you tell us a bit, are you from, uh, your life in Kenya, are you from a big family, brothers, sisters? Yeah, sure. Uh, I come from a big uh, family and uh, it's a, I come from a humble background. So is there, uh, is there uh, I don't know if pressure is the right word, but uh, for you to become a successful athlete, is that, do you w- want to provide for the people, for your people at home? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, because I come from a humble background and uh, we, are, uh, we are seven boys in our family and six, uh, six girls, uh, three girls. So we are ten in the family. And uh, there's some some brothers that are behind me now. Right. Uh, they need to go to school, uh, and my parents are getting old now, so I should be concerned to to help the those brothers uh, that are behind me and also my parents because they are getting old. So I sh- I will be concerned uh, to look after them, and also. Uh, you know, I'm now old enough to to start my progress of uh, my future life as uh, Elliot. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it is pressure. Maybe is the word. It's a lot to take on that, that Elliot has to think of all these people at home. Yeah, hugely. Like, um, I mean, Ed James has spent a lot of time with Elliot, and um, you know, just just racing some of the international races. You know, you see, you see, there's a lot of the times these the, the Kenyan and Ethiopian runners come in. And I think a lot of the local, you know, the organizers and the fans they kind of see these guys coming in and just here for the money, take the money, move on to the next race. And yeah, I, I can understand that, that, that perception, but I, I don't think that, that people really understand the, the hard work that goes in. I mean, for the, for, for a lot of these athletes, this, this really is make or break. Um, and the, the hard work and the pressure that they're under is, is phenomenal. So what, you know, at the end of the race, when I, you know, when he won, I mean, even winning, even winning uh, the silver in Cleveland, it, it, it made a big difference to his life. It made a difference to his family's life. He was able to go back and buy land in, um, in his village. You know, this win now, he, he's planning to, to start to build a house and to, and to make a, a future, uh, buy more land. And, and it really does, it's life-changing. I so mean, 10,000 yeah. 10, for, for Westerners might, seem, might not seem like a lot of money, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's a heck of a lot of money for those guys. For you, Elliot, the, the prize money, that 10000 for for Dublin, is that right? Is that what you'll do? Is you'll buy land for your family? Yeah, yeah I'm going to buy a land uh, for my own now because uh, the land that we have, a small land that we have is for my parents. Uh, so I should have mine now and uh, have a house and uh, my own house and also... I should build a, a better house for my parents and uh, also to make sure that the, our, our life in the family is better than it was uh, in the past. We can see the motivation that you have uh, and it's quite clear. It's interesting you mentioned the hard work element of that, Neil, because I think when you mention it, I do understand that perception you're talking about, that there is that kind of idea that you're born in Kenya, therefore you're a great runner, which isn't necessarily the case. I'm wondering if either you have a theory as to what, why guys like Elliot do make it to the top. Uh, Brother O'Connell, the the coach there, uh, David Rudisha's coach and uh, a big name in Kenyan athletics, I saw a documentary with him and he said, there's no secret, it's not like something just happens, it's just everybody here is willing to work hard to chase that dream. Yeah, you know, it's it's the age-old debate, you know, there's so many so many people debating this and, you know, you have... David Epstein talking about mm. some genetic factors, and for sure, those are there are genetic differences. But and then people talk about nutrition, talk about altitude, and all these different factors. But you know, the the primary factor for me in, in terms of the Kenyan performances is that running is the primary form of locomotion from from the age of four or five. The kids, that's the way they get around. You know, to to go to the shops, to go to school. Running is the only form of locomotion that they have, so they spend they spend the best part of ten years before they even become competitive training without even training and and it's a different kind of training like kids get into running here and immediately they're at, they're they're trying to be competitive they're trying to race they're trying to be fast whereas the initial five six years of development for for the Kenyan athletes it's all focused on how can I get from a to B with as little wasted energy as possible economy of motion. And that develops a, a phenomenal aerobic base in, in terms of endurance. That, and because there's basically everybody is doing it, you have a, a limitless talent pool. Yeah. And, and for me, the culture of running in, in Kenya and Ethiopia is just it, 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 it's so 
they have such a deep talent pool and and it's it's a culture that's ingrained from as soon as they can walk they can run and when they're running they're they're doing it all the time. Is that the case with you from when you were as as early as you can remember you would have been running everywhere? Yeah 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 you know uh, running you cannot uh, understand in Kenya that you have already developed uh, your running career because uh, like me I was uh, I in primary I was going uh, a school uh, from me from my home to school it was about 10 kilometers yeah. and I should have to run in the morning to school and then at lunch time I should come back home running and then back to school again before 2 p.m. that is we break at, uh, for lunch at 12:45 and I should run back home take my lunch run back to school before 2 p.m. and then uh, at 6 in the evening I should run back home with my back, uh, at the back, yeah. running back to home. So hold again. on, and that distance is 10 kilometers? 10 kilometers. So that's 40 kilometers. That's yeah, four. <laughs> yeah, and you, you will never understand that you are, no. you are doing a training. You, yeah, you didn't think of it as training. You, yeah, it's yeah, to yeah, get, uh, yeah. Exactly. It is slow jogging, but uh, you, you are making uh, the foundation of yeah. your uh, running. Uh, yeah, it's incredible. Without recognizing that... Uh, I'm doing so. Yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's brilliant stuff. Can I ask yourself, Neil? I mentioned at the start. We'd ask you your own story of how you ended up in Indiana. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I'd, I'd finished my PhD in Trinity, and I'd been working with um, with Bernard Don in the Human Performance Lab for you know six years, and um, he he's basically responsible for most of the testing. Like he he'd worked with Katrina McKiernan for ten years, and so that was a you know, a great experience for me and a, a learning experience as to how he used the science to develop runners at a high level. And, um, you know, when I finished the PhD, I was looking around and it was, you know, it was 2012, it was a difficult time to finish a PhD in Ireland. So I decided to, to, to go abroad. And luckily, um, uh, Indiana State uh, were interested in hiring me. So I, um, I started working there. I started working closely with the track and field program there. So I lecture and then at the end of the day I try to help as much as I can with their with their testing and their training and so on and so forth. What's life it. like at one of these big American universities? Um I love my job. Uh it's it from an from an athletic perspective and a sports perspective, you know, I went over there thinking, wow, you know, American sports, you, you see it on TV, you see the uh you know, the the, the facilities and just the, the glitz and the glamour of it and you kind of think, you know, it's going to be, they're, they're going to be cutting edge you know the science is going to be cutting edge um it's going to be very modern and it was actually the exact opposite of what i expected um the the training methods the coaching it's it's a very old school approach um it's very attritional based you know they're blessed in, in a sport like american football you know i i do some consultancy work for an nfl team and you know they they talk about just the the numbers the sheer numbers of athletes that they have at their disposal, they're they're almost spoiled for talent, so that they can afford to, you know, high school coaches are paid. So they're 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 not. I suppose the coaches over there are not necessarily. Um, their primary objective is not necessarily long term development of an athlete. It's really I've got four years to use mm. this kid. They've got four years of eligibility for the NCAA. I got to get the most out of this kid for four years. And whether that's the best for the long term development of the athlete, I would argue it's not. But for that coach, that coach is being paid millions of dollars to, to coach either a track program, well, an American football program or hundreds of thousands of dollars to coach a track program. They're not necessarily 
concerned with the long-term development and that's unfortunately just the system that they find themselves yeah, it's, in. It's, it's the opposite of what we're talking about for, that is there just by the natural environment in Kenya for example you're talking about it being too competitive in Ab- the States absolutely absolutely like and, and I you know I'm teaching the fu- I'm hopefully teaching the future coaches in America and one of the big one of the big comparisons I always make is I say you know in Ireland, we have a country of you know five, five and a half million people. We cannot afford to lose one talented athlete. We cannot afford for one talented athlete to fall through the cracks. So, and in fairness, the, the Irish system, you know, Gaelic athletics and and soccer and rugby and, and the the coaching system is actually more developed in a lot of ways than than it is in America. We 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 identify talent and try to, you know, the Irish Sports Council do a great job of identifying talent at a young age and trying to. Um, embrace them and look after them throughout the throughout the years. Like I, in my own sport, kayaking, I was identified at fourteen. I did my first VO2 max test at fourteen. Fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Every six months I had a medical evaluation, I had a physiological test, my coach was brought in, sat down, talked about nutrition, talked about physiology and psychology and and that development process was phenomenal. Now when I compare that to what I see in America I mean, it's it's chalk and cheese. It's just incredible. It, the the difference though is that they have so many talented athletes that they can afford to break a few eggs when they're trying to make mm-hmm. a cake. Whereas uh, the Irish system just can't afford to. It do sounds that. like you've got a lot of great ideas. Are you looking ultimately to get back involved in Irish sport, or have we lost you to to the states? <laughs> no, I mean, I I'd love to come back. I really would. Um, obviously, the timing has to be right, and uh, and so on and so forth. I still coach a lot of Irish athletes and in different sports and I'm I'm very keen to, to continue to to work with, with athletes as, as much as I possibly can. Um hopefully the time will come when I can get back. Indeed. Uh Elliot, what about yourself? There's an Olympic Games uh quite close, a couple of years away will we see in the Olympics? Yeah, in fact my dream is uh, uh to make the team to Olympics in twenty sixteen uh in Kenya but uh, it's quite the uh, it's not a marathon, but I, I'm expecting to make the team in 3,000 meters steeplechase because uh, I've been doing steeplechase since in primary and high school, and uh, in high school I'm a, I'm a champion in 3,000 meters steeplechase. Okay. Yeah. So that's that. That was that your your passion in in, in school. 2016. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah well, we'd love to see you there. And Neil, you just you mentioned an NFL team. Uh, can can you tell us what e, NFL team you're? E, I can't say what NFL oh, team I'm okay. working with. Um, um, just for contractual reasons. Okay, but, that's um, fine. Yeah, uh, you know they. I was at a conference six months ago and was presenting some information on. Um, uh, periodization of training and uh, and sort of energy system utilization that's something that a lot of the NFL coaches or not NFL coaches but American football coaches at high school and college tend to not necessarily get right you know they're they're running repeat 400s on the track and doing long endurance based sessions for a sport that the time the ball is, is spiked to the time the ref blows the whistle is 4.6 seconds so they're not training the appropriate energy system for the for the for the sport and um, a coach came up to me afterwards and said, "Look, I put you in touch with um, with a, one of the strength coaches at, at one of these teams, and we've been, you know, working on and off together for the last six months during their preseason and their yeah and their season now." So. Okay, but you're not revealing any names. That's all Can't right. Can't really do that's that, fine. unfortunately. Yeah. Listen, no. it's been great, Neil Fleming. Thanks so much for calling in, Elliot. Too. Uh, congratulations again, Thanks. and hopefully we'll see you in Dublin again soon. Thanks, Elliot. <laughs> Thanks very much. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. 
Richie Sadler is here. Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? <laughs> no, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, everyone in the city knew about him, but no one had seen him. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. I do please remember this interview when you are watching, sitting down watching the Olympic Games in a couple of years' time, watching the 3,000 metre steeplechase, and you see this Kenyan, Kenyan guy, Elliot too. That's the man we spoke to. That's mm-hmm. the guy you should be cheering on. What a lovely, what a, what a gentleman. Um, I, I liked the number of things he said there. One, that he used an Ethiopian rival as a human shield to protect him from the wind <laughs> in the Phoenix Park. That's doing your homework. That's seriously, dude. That's the that's a, that's a cycling trick, really. The wind was crazy, actually. Yeah, yeah that's that, what that morning. I was out that morning. It was like, I wouldn't fancy it was wind, yeah. six miles in this. And he'd done his bit of a recce in the Phoenix Park before, uh, a couple of days before. So he thought, you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't <laughs> fancy you, 26 Why are you miles? looking at me like that? Sorry, I just have this image of you in your backyard wearing a dressing gown and a string vest. No. Looking at that wind I'm going to go oh, back to bed with me that's alright no I was there I had to I had to get out real early that day because I, I needed to, to get out because the marathon goes past my house yeah so I had to I had to escape from there before I was barricaded in there that is true I suppose so yeah. so I was up early and I was and I saw the leaves swirling you know and then I, I thought to myself you know it's not the day for it yeah I, you know it's just not ideal conditions really yeah. is it for, for the runners you know it's a pity, fair, actually, play, fair play to them anyway. Yeah, because you, you, you obviously you have to go to work on Monday, so you didn't get a chance to do what you always do every year, which is uh, open your bedroom window and shout out, you're all winners, <laughs> as they ran past you for the entire Well, no, I did have this day. issue, because I've, I've done the Dublin Marathon twice, and uh, the first time I ran by Ken's window, yeah. he didn't even open the curtains <laughs> to, to cheer me on. The second time he was there, so <laughs> made up for that. I, I don't remember the first did, one at all. Did he ever tell you the story about that, though? Because Ken was absolutely certain that he had missed you the second oh. time as well. This is true, isn't it? And you walked out the door and like 45 seconds later, you ran past. <laughs> you're like, hey, come on, oh, no. And then straight back. I've straight been back loyally there. Yeah. I was thinking, what a guy. He's been out there all morning. With, passing his jellies over to me and, and all the yeah, rest yeah. of it. Um, another point raised there. It's, it's that, just the whole idea of having to try to win. Like this 10,000 euro, which of course it's, it's big money to everybody, everybody but... For this guy, he's gone back to Kenya. He's literally going back and buying land now for his his folks, trying to help give them a better life mm. based on on that win alone. So, really hope he could be successful and and, and earn enough and and be able to um, be able to help out his family. But the uh, it's it's the stereotype that we have, but it's obviously so true in in the case of somebody like Elliot that he's grown up in this really rural part of Kenya, running te- forty kilometers altogether to and from school, ten kilometers to primary Amazing. school, yeah. ten kilometers back sure. at lunchtime, ten and te- uh, four, forty kilometers in total. And as he says himself, it's not like he was consciously training then, but obviously that's all in the system, and that you've got a certain affinity for running then. And Neil again mentioned there that. That's what he feels is the biggest reason for it. Everyone talks about this, and he mentioned the David Epstein book, which I know you're interested in, and you know nature versus nurture, all those kind of debates. He says the biggest thing is that that's the primary form of, of movement for a lot of these uh, guys from a very young age, uh, combined with the hard work that people take for granted a little. The people outside Kenya just assume, well, they all run to school, so therefore they're all going to be great, uh, great athletes. It seems to be a combination of of that. That's definitely an element of it. Plus, like plus this unbending. Um, sort of will to succeed. A combination of all kinds of things. I mean, there's also, I mean, what Epstein talks about in his book is is a lot of the um, like physiological factors. I mean, Kenyans, for instance, usually have longer legs than Irish people. That's that helps if you want to run thinner ankles. 
Mm. Our fat ankles, I remember that. Yeah, we've always we, going to hold us back. The plump Irish cankles aren't much use <laughs> for covering uh, long distances at high speed. John Tracy has extraordinarily slim ankles. The butler. That, that, Does what, he? That, that's, what project, that's what propelled him to, to almost glory in L.A. in 84. You know who's got a nicely turned pair of ankles? Damien Duff. Has he, yeah? Oh, he does, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing Damien Duff. Would have been shortly after his transfer to Chelsea. On, uh, We're talking more than 10 years ago. He was at some hotel for some press gig, and I remember he, I saw him walking past. And I thought, what a lovely pair of ankles he's got. Look at those ankles. They're so slim and delicate. This is how he's got that ability to sort of, you know, sort of dance and, and you know, it's manipulate the... detail that <laughs> truly great football journalists have. I wonder if, I mean, if Duff walked past, you know, he probably saw me there sort of mooching around, kind of eyeing him weirdly. Yeah. And uh, if he'd known that was going through my head, would it have been, mm. would it have been stranger? Next week, Glenn Whelan's ties. <laughs> Neil Fleming there, by the way, has contributed to the show before uh, via uh, P. Bezo. P. Bezo does from Indiana in the past uh, I think think the phrase the hick from French Lick regarding yes. Larry Bird might have been yes. used yes. as part of that and I always like to get that I like that one almost as much as Chariots of Fire I gotta say <laughs> but that brings us nicely along to this that's right you're a real Irishman you get the potato yeah. I left in your dressing room there you got the potatoes and the puccine huh? and the puccine oh yeah there you are born and bred yeah in uh, County Meath a place called Navin Synchronize your, synchronize your watches, folks, because it's P. Bezo time. This week, an email from a man without a name, or at least a surname. Uh, but he calls himself Kieran, so it should be pretty easy to track him down. Good evening and welcome. Well, welcome to my email. Welcome to my email. This guy's a real piece of work, isn't he? But how we go? Uh, having left Ireland in 2008, I've relied on your good selves for a long time now to stay in tune with our sporting news and more. Been living in Perth, Western Australia since 2009 and tuned into your previous incarnation for years before the shiny new second captains emerged like the proverbial phoenix. When the P. Bezel segment started way back when, I decided that if I was going to submit one, it would have to be something special and not some Sydney Harbour Bridge happy snap <laughs> that any old backpacker could put together. Yep. So back in May of this year, I thought that I could salvage an epic P. Bezel when I hiked to the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro Ooh. again. Uh, remember our last one, also Kilimanjaro. Yeah. Anyway... I move on. I forgot my laminated P. Bezel sign, but thankfully along the climb I managed to scavenge a pen and paper from an uncharacteristically generous Russian hiker and hastily cobbled together the bedraggled P. Bezel you see in the attached photograph. I'm attributing the Russian's generosity to the fact that they'd just invaded the Ukraine at the time and he was possibly trying to engender some goodwill amongst the international community. Interesting point to make there, Kieran, even if it was followed by a smiley face, which took away from the <laughs> geopolitical commentary that he was uh, trying to provide. By the time I reached the summit, I was so ill from altitude sickness that I barely had the energy to remove my pack, peel off the layers to expose my leash jersey, and display the celebrated Pibazo on top of Africa's highest mountain. But I managed to get another hiker, not the Russian, big on this Russia thing, to take a quick zap to immortalise the moment. Uh, as a procrastinator from way back though, I neglected to take the last step and forward on the photograph to Murph in a timely fashion when I got home in mid-May. Imagine my horror when I listened to last week's podcast to hear about some doctor who was part of an expedition, no less, yeah. took a hashtag Pibezo snap on the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. I'm hoping the GA jersey and the fact that I made it without the benefit of a seven-year education at the College of Surgeons might add my cause. But anyway, here is some pictorial evidence in support of my claim. Regards, Kieran, long-suffering fan. So Kieran, congratulations to you. Um, there were some... Some slight issues with that email, you know, for me, uh, but it did at least have the benefit of no, you not it. saying that you were a doctor uh, in every second <laughs> sentence. So congratulations to you and well done. Your t-shirt is in the post, as long as you provide us with a surname and 
postal address. So it seems like everybody in Ireland is either running a marathon or climbing Kilimanjaro. Besides us, we're, we're just sitting there talking shite about sport. Yeah, don't worry about us. We won't be doing, e- well, me and Ken won't be doing either of those things ever. Coming up. Oh, sorry, Ken. I don't, I don't know. No. I, I wouldn't mind. Hiking to Mount Kilimanjaro yeah. or the marathon? Which one would you rather do? I tell you, who did, who did go up Kilimanjaro, our, uh, our regular correspondent, Jonathan Wilson. Did he? Yeah, he went up there. Very, very fit man, playing competitive hockey until just this year. You can walk up. You can walk up there. You know, Robbie Savage wasn't able for it. He was he was carted he was carted yeah, away. That's not necessarily. Was he? That's yeah, not necessarily a fitness like, issue. That, that's that's yeah. Some people deal with that. I I would say I wouldn't deal with it that well because uh, when I was in Ethiopia and yeah. running a ten k, yeah. um, I've seriously felt the. That was you in the mudlark. Yeah, myself in the mudlark, John Tracy. Yeah, yeah. I beat the mudlark. He did walk. But... <laughs> he walked and you managed yeah, to yeah. outpace him. Just about. <laughs> yeah, but so I'd say if I went what uh, higher you? up again, what happened to you? What I just felt unbelievably lightheaded and d- destroyed, tired after like four kilometers of a run. Right. Uh, and a lot of the other people running it didn't feel that way. And none of us were really trying to kill it in terms of getting amazing times or anything. Yeah. But. Every, most of the people seem to think, oh no, it just, just felt like a normal run. Mm. And to me, I was thinking, that felt really What really is the altitude tough. there? It was in Addis. Addis Ababa, yeah, it's pretty high. But uh, it was only a 10k. You know, yeah. I was only running around in it for an hour or so. Yeah, know? yeah, it's it's uh, it's a pretty strange feeling. I, when I was in um, in Peru, like the, the feeling of walking up stairs and being extremely tired afterwards. I mean, that was <laughs> something that I wouldn't subsequently feel until I reached my 30s. Uh, so it did come as well. Quite I've seen a, you in the office, Murph. It uh, came as, uh, at the top of some of those walks up the stairs. Yeah, it, came as, it came as quite a shock back then. Now I'm probably a bit more used to that feeling. Coming up in second captain's football. That's. Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you show me, man. <laughs> well, we're going to talk a little bit more about that um, ticket situation we mentioned on Monday uh, with some of the guys from You Boys and Green. We're also going to talk. Um, well, there's a, there's a big match on this weekend on the Manchester Derby, which is. Uh, which is which is interesting in the light of Manchester City's defeat to Alan Pardew, whose success has the momentum of a runaway freight train. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we'll talk about all those things. Sounds great. Now, I don't want to put too much pressure on Ben Teo, who plays his first full game of professional rugby union for Leinster at the RDS tomorrow night. But this guy is an ex-Brian O'Driscoll. He's taking a 13 jersey. He's, got, he's going to be better than Brian O'Driscoll. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say about Ben Teo. <laughs> Um, to talk about some of the challenges he faces, we're delighted to be joined by Brian Kearney, who made the switch from the two sports, or between the two sports, late in his career to play for Munster. Because of that, it's good to talk to you, Brian, first of all, uh, again on the show. Do you, because of the switch that you made, do you take a special interest in these cases? Yeah, I suppose I do, actually. I've, I've got to follow this career, and it's interesting to see if people can make the jump. Um, plenty are trying it, plenty more will try it in the future. Not all are going to be successful, but he, he's going to be an interesting one. Um, Playing second row in, in league and then and then slipping out into the centres, um, Sam Burgess is going to face the same issues in, in a few uh, in a few months. But he's played at the very highest level in state of origin, um, so I think the occasion certainly won't phase him. It's probably just the the intricacies and nuances of the game is something that he's going to take him a while to get used to. Yeah, he said in an interview with Jerry Thorney this week that he, even in terms of sort of standing around rooks, he's not 100% sure quite what to do yet, which is totally understandable. But how accelerated does that learning process have to be? The nuances you talk about there, how challenging is that going to be for him? If he wants to get to the very highest level, that's 
they're, they're, they're going to have to be mastered. But on his rugby league or rugby in general, general ability will get him, get him so far. I wouldn't have an issue with that. But if you want to take, take your game to the next level, you have to be a master of those. And learning and understanding what you have to do pre- and post-tackle when you're a defender and when you're an attacker is a huge difference. It's because it was such a competition for the ball in rugby union. Rugby league with six tackles has a turnover of the ball, so there's no challenge for the ball. By and large, no chance for the ball in the tackle. It's quite the opposite in rugby union. So Ben Teo could be pretty comfortable taking a ball in in rugby league, knowing that he just got to make sure he doesn't drop the ball and he gets to play the ball, hold on to it. That's very different in rugby union. You have to make sure you don't get isolated. You have to get the ball back. And then the flip side, when you're a defender, you don't just make the tackle like you do in league. You've got to make the tackle, then get up and try and, uh, and, try and steal the ball. So there's all those, those uh, issues either side of, of actually making a tackle or being tackled that he's going to have to master. Yeah, that sounds like quite a lot to take on. Uh, how, how was your experience of that, Brian? Because it, uh, most sports people want their head to be reasonably uncluttered when they're going out there. You, you want it to be as natural as possible. But it, but it sounds like what you're talking about there is, certainly in the, in the beginning, is having to think about quite a lot of things um, that aren't 100% natural to you. Well, that's right. If he did, if he did say that, that he's, he's, you know, that he's standing off and, and not knowing when to go in, in, in rugby league, you, you'd automatically reload and get ready to go again. So try and keep your eyes up and see what's in front of you. But in rugby union, you've got to make sure you secure the ball. Um, so it becomes, it becomes almost more difficult to secure the ball, then reload and get up and play again. So, so for a while, that won't be natural for him, even though he played it in his junior, his junior years. Um, but that'll come pretty quickly. I, I'm, I'm sure he just. The more open the game and the more times he gets his hands on the ball, um, the better he'll become and, and quickly as well. As I said, he's, he has played at the very highest level. Anybody that's watched State of Origin will know that he's a player that will be able to handle big occasions. He's, um, he can come up with some special plays in attack and defence. I think Lentz have got a pretty good signing there. He's 27 years old, Brian. Is, is that a little old uh, to be trying a conversion like this? I mean, it's saying the, the, the kids that... Um... I'm glad you, glad, you, glad you didn't interview me for eight, eight years ago. <laughs> yeah. I think I was well, 32. Yeah, well, is, is that a, is, do you think is that an issue? Like, is, is, uh, is it, does it come easier um, to 20-year-olds or 21-year-olds? With all no, due you respect, know what? Brian. I don't, I don't care. I don't, I don't think it does. I mean, look, Chris Ashton was very young when he went over... Um, uh, Kyle Eastman, I think, was too young. Kyle Eastman should have done four or five more years in rugby league and then gone over. Um, Chris, has, uh, Chris has got a successful career. He's played international rugby rugby union. But um, and if he's on the wane now, you know what? What you put that down to? Not his age, certainly. So, no, I, I don't think it's an issue. Andy Farrell, he moved over in, uh, in his later years. Now, you can debate whether or not he was success. He did for a man that was never injured when he played rugby league. He, he picked up injury after injury. Some of I won from a car crash. I remember he was just about to come back and play for Saracens and he, he was involved in a car crash which set him back. So he never really got going. However, he did play for England in the World Cup. So um, it, it doesn't, I don't think age is, is, is an issue here at all, no. We're, kind of, we're almost focusing on the negative, I guess, in some way, in, in the challenges faced. But are there uh, strengths involved in playing rugby league that can be, uh, that can be transferred over? I'm pretty sure that uh, Brian O'Driscoll name-checked you uh, for your professionalism, for example, in the 2007 World Cup, Brian, when you weren't getting into the team, but he said you were still driving things on. Is that quite an ingrained thing in rugby league? Is there a very professional attitude that should be able to benefit guys like this changing over? Uh, I think it'd probably be doing a disservice to rugby union to say there wasn't an incredibly professional attitude. I was not not taken aback, but very impressed with everybody that was at Munster and... uh, how, how much they wanted to train, how much they wanted to learn. They were like sponges and, and they were quite demanding of all their coaches. So 
I, I, there's probably, I wouldn't put myself in this bracket, but people like Ben Teo and, and people like Kyle Eastman, that put, they get their hands on the ball quite a bit um, in ball-playing situations in, in rugby league, have a lot of ball-handling skill that, that maybe isn't across the board in rugby union. Um, you see some second rowers, I mean, cause of, now positionally, I don't understand the difference, centre and second row in rugby league are very similar. Centre and second row in rugby union are completely different, but sometimes you see some of the, the tight forwards from rugby union cut out wide and, 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 and passing the ball is alien to them. So I would say anybody that comes over would generally have, a, have generally, again, I don't count myself in that bracket, have good ball playing ability. Yeah, and maybe good finishing ability, that kind of thing as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, when you follow the games, you, you know, the, a lot of plays, especially with that centre and second row position, there's a lot of play put out there and you've got to learn how to hit lines properly. That's going to benefit Ben Teo as well, playing, I'd say, the inside or outside centre. I'm not sure what he's going to, what he's going to play. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, he'll be hitting the hard lines. He'd be a tough man to stop. I don't know if you're going to get a Sonny Bill Williams, but you're certainly getting a very confident rugby league player. Final question. Nice, easy one for you, Brian. Is Ben Teo going to be a runaway success as a rugby union player? I'll give you the bravest answer I can. I don't know. <laughs> That's a good I, I could I could sit here and tell you this and that and that. I mean, I ask her the same question about Sam Burgess. Yeah. Ultimately, the answer is I don't know. Um, but he certainly has all the physical attributes to, to, to be a success. I'm sure he's, got the, he's challenging himself. He's just left a club in a brilliant position. They're owned by Russell Crowe. They've just won the Premiership. Things could not be any better. You know, state of origin player, and he's, he's put all that to the side to challenge himself playing for Leinster in the Northern Hemisphere. So, uh, I've got nothing but respect for someone that's shown that courage. So, everything is pointing towards him being successful, but ultimately, none of us know. All right. Listen, Brian, that's fair enough. Great to talk to you again. Thank you. Pleasure. In the final and in again. And Like it, says our rugby league commentator. There, I really <laughs> I don't like that it. Clip. <laughs> it is just brilliant. You know, he's known as one of the more sedate commentators mm. in the league. He's quite a toned down version. Of it's him. quite a, quite a posh accent for a rugby league as well. As rugby league commentators go, that guy's uh, golden larynx. Castleford Rugby League. You want to see that clip? It's, I mean, it's just incredible. But mm. they go and they go and actually run one in at the end of that. Yeah. It's amazing. Like you know, the fired by in, indignation and injustice, Castleford, <laughs> Castleford power through running a drive. And let's just say the commentator um, is pretty happy he about reacts, it. Yeah, he reacts positively to that development. Yeah, there's a little bit of rubbing of the nose it in it going It doesn't on. matter if Teo is a success really, as long as he brings a bit of that rugby league spirit that we've heard just there. <laughs> way to go, by the way, Murph. Way to, way to have a go, Brian Carney, for taking up rugby union so late. Yeah, so Brian, I mean, this Teo guy, he's, he's in his mid to late 20s. Old man Teo. How does he expect to be successful? Carney's yeah. thinking, you, can't believe you. Yeah. I was 32. 
Well, I mean, I, I was actually coming at it from the point of view of, uh, and it's a different, it's obviously a different example, but the GA players going over to Australia, and if they go over at 22, it's, well, he's too old. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah, even um, 20, they want them at 17, really. Yeah, yeah, now obviously there's much more learning that needs to go on to yeah. convert you from a Gaelic footballer into a international or into an Aussie rules uh, footballer but I think at the same time that you, you know the the older you get the less likely you are to uh, to take things on board quickly I think I, and I, I think that that's actually true you know that you, you get into a, a, a frame of mind maybe the old, longer into your career um, that means okay yep. I know what I'm doing here you know so listen no, I, he, I Brian thought, took it well he, he took it well listen, mm. a bit more news just before we wrap up from today and that is that Aidan Walsh one of the best athletes in the country I would say and a, part of a very much a dying breed now yep. of dual players speaking of uh, guys playing two codes <laughs> it, was, it is kind of ridiculous when you think about it that people are uh, ridiculous in a, in a good way that people are still trying this yep. but it looks like it is fading out and he was speaking on Cork 96 uh, says he's going to focus with on the core curlers next year yeah, and I'd play football. He seemed to really have to. It seems to actually really hurt him the way he's talking. It's not as though, oh yeah, no, I'll just play hurling and forget about the football. It seems to be a real wrench. But there it is. Yeah, the suggestion as well had been that he was going to play play football. You know, and uh, um, that when he was talking about having to drop one, that the the assumption nearly was that he was going to drop the hurling because it, maybe it hadn't gone brilliantly for him this year. But you know, when you look at it with the benefit of hindsight, now it's actually. You know, it makes a lot of sense. You know, he's done an awful lot. He's won the Ireland as a footballer, has won Young Player of the Year, um, has proven himself at the very highest level in football over a number of years. The ability is definitely there for him to be a really, oh, yeah. really good hurler. So why not give the hurling a go and actually, you know, uh, try and find out how good you are? He's done that in the football. Try and find out how good you are as a hurler. And um, that's definitely true, but. I think it annoyed both of us at times during the summer when if either Cork team played badly and it was a, a bad year for the footballers, obviously, it was down to dual players. People were saying, well, yeah. how can they expect be expected to play well? when This happened after they lost to Kerry, for example, yeah. in the football. When they've got Aidan Walsh there and, and uh, to the, to the other dual players as well, don't they? Yeah. Uh, so how can they possibly... You're thinking well, there was 14 other guys out there playing pretty badly as yeah. well. So, but, you know, uh, but I think it's the It's such overall, an easy thing to be able to say yeah. that instead of analysing the other... 12 or 13 players that were on the field but the overall point is probably correct that those people are making yeah. in the sense that it is it does seem to impact negatively on yeah. one thing so and he said himself like in the run up to the Ireland semi-final he said in the Times yesterday um, that in the run up to the Ireland hurling semi-final he just didn't have enough he just didn't have enough hours put into the hurling to perform well on that day and he played badly that day and I would say you know if you're looking at the reasons why he's playing hurling next year I would say that game is the reason because it just didn't. It didn't happen for him on on the day, and he would, I'm sure, not like to leave the hurling on that note. Yeah. Well, listen, we're not going to get any physically fitter sitting here talking about sport cancer. Going to have to. Do you, would you mind, Ken, just before we go, or maybe after we go, it's probably better off just inspecting my ankles. Just I want to see if I have another marathon in me. Show so, me. I'll, tell you right I'll show now. you now. Okay. Here we go. Let me see. Silvia. Left ankle here is that uh, left or right is different. That's how my ankle looks. Is that? Well, would I have one more marathon in me? I mean, like a Mullingar heifer. All of you, you've... meat to the heels. To be honest, though, that ankle is good for keeping your foot attached to your leg and not a lot else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I've seen worse. Yeah. Well, don't look at me. What are you saying about my ankles, Ken? I don't have the best ankles myself, you know. It's just not everybody has the best everything, you know. We've, yeah, we've all been given different things in, in life. Sure. And neither of us have been given ankles. More ankle chat in our Second Captains football podcast later on today. Have a listen to that. Check out our website, secondcaptains.com. Thanks very much for listening today. I hope, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, even the ankle chat. Take care. Bye-bye.
like, that's the second time it's gone off. They never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those, those, those boys. <laughs>